This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. This is the American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. I am James, joined as always by my co-host, Alex. Excited to be here, James. And today we have a very special guest for you guys. We are ecstatic to have Rob Sloman, director of Everton, Howard's Way, the recent documentary that came out. An excellent, excellent film. Rob, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us on the show. No, no problem. Nice to speak to you, though. So we can just jump right into it here. Um, give us a, give us a little bit of your your background, Rob. Where where did you grow up? Um, I know that you are a journalist and also into film. So um, take us a little bit through your personal journey, professional, and and um, give everyone a little bit of background on you. Okay. Well, um, I have no idea why I started supporting Everton. Um, I'm not from I'm not from Liverpool or Merseyside. I, I'm from um, uh, a county called Cornwall in, in the UK, which is uh, right down the bottom uh, of uh, of England, and uh, a good three hundred miles away from from Liverpool. Um, but I was very young, and uh, I don't. There wasn't a moment, there wasn't a match, or, or anything in particular that uh, made me want to support Everton. Because uh, truth be told, they weren't successful. Uh, that would have been the mid seventies, and Everton weren't doing very much. Um, they were a little bit like they are now, really. Um, and I was the only kid in the playground who supported uh, Everton and lots of other kids uh, wanted to know why on earth I would waste my time doing it. But I, but I think um, e- even then there was, um, you know, I was sort of determined to stick with it. I just always felt that, <laughs> that, uh, that there had to be better times to come. I didn't realize um, how few of them and, and how long I would have to wait. But um, obviously the, the mid 80s were spectacular. I was 14, 15, when we suddenly pretty much, it, it felt like overnight. I mean, I'm sure that's not how it felt if you were living up in um, Liverpool where, where the red side were, were winning pretty much everything every year. I'm sure it didn't feel like overnight for, for those guys that, that uh, the Everton fans up there. But, but I just remember um, desperately wanting Everton to get to an FA Cup final because back then in the UK, the, um, in the 80s, 70s and 80s, the FA Cup was the biggest thing. It was bigger than winning the league. Um, in terms of, of seeing your team, it was bigger than the European Cup. It was um, it was a day of TV exposure um, for your team. And, and that was what I so desperately wanted um, back then. And, and obviously, uh, finally, in 1984, we, uh, we got to the FA Cup final. And, and fortunately enough, uh, we won that day and it meant going to school on the Monday was one of my, there weren't many days where I got up and couldn't wait to get into school. Um, but, but that Monday after that cup final would, would have been one of those. And we used to live, I lived on a farm. So uh, the bus used to, to pick the kids that, that lived a little bit further away would, would, would be brought into school by bus. And I remember getting on the bus and thinking everybody must be jealous Um they weren't, but, but that's the way I felt. And I remember getting off the bus at school uh, and sort of thinking that there might be some sort of parade for me or that uh, everybody would be applauding or, or <laughs> because that was how long I waited for that moment. And everyone knew I was an Everton fan and I was still the only one, even at the sort of older age group now at school. Um, and yeah, nobody nobody applauded and nobody cared, but I cared. It was uh, I felt fantastic that day. Um, and for the next sort of year, 18 months, it was, um, yeah, it felt like nonstop glory. Um, and if I'd have known how few successes we were going to have from sort of then until now, I, I, I think I'd have tried to savor it a bit more. So tell us a little bit more about your professional career, like how you got started in journalism slash film slash production, and then how that led to coming up with the idea for Howard's Way. Uh, I was um, sports, I still am, sports obsessed. Funnily enough, I remember in the mid-80s, I think Chicago Bears were around about the most, um, whether they were the best um, team, uh, American um, football team at that time. I just remember 
um, the fridge was it William Perry and, and guys like that. So I yeah. was at that particular yep. age in the mid eighties when Everton were were doing good things. I was I watched absolutely everything sports wise, and you know the only reason that's different now is that I've got a couple of uh, of youngish kids and, and I'm married, and, and and the opportunity to just sit and watch all the sport um, that you possibly can, even though there's much there's much more sport available to watch now, and and yet I would probably say right. I watch much less because of the opportunity but but um i was sports obsessed every sport you name it i was into it and um uh and so when i went to i went to college to do journalism i always thought that i it would take me um into in the direction of sport somehow some way and it, and it did when i went on my first newspaper very quickly i was moved on to the sports desk and um after six or seven years in newspapers the company now that everybody's heard of in the uk sky sports that that was quite new back then and um and they were going from one and it seems incredible now but they they started off just with one channel um and they expanded to three channels and around about that time i had the opportunity to to go there football was changing uh very quickly there was a lot more money being thrown into the game back then so that was when I sort of spent four or five years in the, in the live uh, part of it at, at Sky more than that actually I was Sky, ITV, BBC all the companies that you've heard of I, I sort of pinged around those companies doing covering different sports a lot of golf I love my golf so I uh, did quite a bit of that and then uh, in 2001 I went uh, uh, to work as a producer director on a uh, on a rugby tour uh the british and irish lions which are a very famous rugby team rugby union um and they went on a tour of australia and i went with them behind the scenes to make a documentary and from that moment that was 2001 and from that moment on i i thought yeah this is probably what i want to do here i like the idea of being surrounded by um hundreds of tapes or lots and lots of footage uh and just piecing it together and uh and trying to come up with um uh, a decent film. I, I I loved it then. I love it now. Albeit that at that point, um, uh, a film about Everton wasn't necessarily um, something that I, that I thought I would do. It wasn't too many years after that that I first started writing down treatments and, and going through ideas uh, of how I would get to make a film about Everton. Because if you're if you're in that industry and you are making films and you know whether you're going behind the scenes or or whether you're making uh films about teams from the past or whatever it might be you do tend to think mm, how could i do something about the the subjects that i that i really loved or or care about but but everton actually even though i i talked to the club about a couple of different ideas and and didn't really get anywhere and then I, I was talking to one of the, the contacts from one of the film companies. I went to see him about a completely different um, idea. And we got talking about Everton and, and he said that a film about Everton in the 80s would work um, or he thought it would work. And obviously, I didn't really I didn't really need him to, to repeat that. I, I, I went home that night. I was surprised he, he'd said it because... I didn't think that anybody else would see the potential of, of the Everton team of the 80s. So when he said it, I was delighted, surprised, but delighted. And I, I went home that night, put the flesh on the bones of the of the idea that I already had. Um, obviously, I'd been trying to sort of get some very small type project away. And now I was maybe had the opportunity of doing something considerably bigger. So that had huge appeal to me. So I spent the next couple of days just writing it up and going through stuff. Uh, got the got the treatment polished. Um, went away and got a budget. Um, worked on what I thought it would cost. Spoke to other people who you know got a bit of previous with these things and and uh, came back with what I thought was a reasonable budget. And the film company were okay with it. And and I honestly at that point thought, well, this is this is great. We're 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 on. It's going to happen. I went away and and tried to get hold of all the players from that team. From my time at Sky, I knew Andy Gray not really well, but well enough to to email him and um and one or two of the other ones I'd sort of come across um through work but um the majority of them no never met them and so uh once I got Peter Reed's number Peter put me in touch with um most of the other guys uh I managed to google Gary Stevens who was a physio in in uh, Perth in Australia and obviously was thinking jeeps and you know if I want to get everybody and I did want to get everybody then we're going to have to go there um I knew Andy was in Doha, Trevor Stephen was in Dubai, 
Adrian Heath was in Minnesota. So the budget had to reflect the fact that we were going to go around the world to try and get these guys. So I then just sort of bought everybody's books because I, I knew what I knew. I think I knew the story, but of what had happened to Everton in, in those days. But you want to do your research. So I, every book that I could get, um, the players' books, the, there was a great book by a chap called Simon Hart called Here We Go. Some of the stories in there are, are in the film. And it was just a question of doing all the research that I could to put me in a position that when, uh, I thought it was when, uh, the film company said, right, we're ready, that I, that I could just start filming straight away. Um, it didn't really roll out like that in the end. But um, to, to meet all the players, I wanted to meet all the players before we did any filming or as many of the players as I could just to talk them through what I wanted to try and do with the film and, and just get an idea of how good they would be with a camera um, because it's one thing just chatting chatting away isn't it in a in a pub with a beer um and it's another thing when somebody puts a camera on and says right let's do it but um everybody was very keen very uh i think they all shared the idea that the team hadn't had much credit given how good that side was uh, it had sort of been airbrushed out with football changing as it did uh in the early 90s uh with the premier league and and i think everton of all the teams immediately prior to the inception of the Premier League, Everton were the, were the team that, that, that people had forgotten. That's very interesting. It's always, it, it's so fascinating to hear about everything that goes on behind the scenes, because obviously anytime you see any movie, there's so much, that, so much work that goes into it. But I think the logistics of putting this whole thing together, traveling around the world, getting all these interviews, um, what was the, what was the total timeline like as far as like, so when you first got approval, you got the green light, to I guess a few weeks ago when the film rolled out, when I thought it was going to happen with the the film company, I thought, well, it's going to happen. Let's do, let's get a let's get a shoot or two done. So uh, off out of my own pocket, we we did some filming at Goodison that you see in the film with the four guys talking about Bayern Munich, um, where we we got a drone and what do we have there? Three other cameras, so drone, three cameras. Um, and a soundy and um, went to town on the Bayern. I knew the Bayern Munich chunk of the film was going to be very, very important. I wanted to get an idea of, of how that would look. And all the guys were, were keen. Andy Gray was over from, from Doha and Peter and Andy and, and Graham are very close. So they often do stuff together. When Andy is over, they, they, they do you know, uh, Q&As and, and dinners and stuff. And, and Pat works for the club. And I was keen to get Pat Hat, Pat Vandenhow in, involved because I, I was told he was quite a shy character. And um, and, I, and I figured that one of the best ways to, to, to get him to, to embrace the whole project was if he had Andy Gray on one side of him and Peter Reid on the other, just sort of giving him a, a, a nudge um, and... Uh, uh, and just relaxing him and, and getting him to the spirit of the whole thing. And Pat, actually, for anybody that hasn't seen it, Pat was my sort of surprise star of the film. I think he's brilliant in the film. I think he's excellent. And um, and it was, I think it was a good thing to get him involved early with the likes of of Andy Gray, Peter, um, Peter Reed and Graham Sharp, because um, he could then see what we were trying to do. It wasn't some expose like he I, I know he got mm. um, involved with the daily mail i did a piece with the daily mail last year and I, and I or this year and i think he he hated it and i and i was keen for him to know that it wasn't that sort of thing um so we did that um in june of 2018 so um we did that and then i about a month later i had andy was still over or he'd come back one of the two and so Andy gave me a huge amount of his time, um, uh, which I was hugely grateful for. And um, and I also filmed with Colin Harvey um, in 2018. So I did those th three things before we'd got a green light. And um, uh, but I, obviously, I did them thinking that it was inevitable that we would get a green light. But but at that point, there was nobody pumped any money into it. So I guess it was a risk. Well, it was a risk. Um, and then uh, we get to 2019 and, uh, and the film company that I thought were going to do it, um, the guy that had initially shown all the interest had left. Um, his replacement wasn't as enthused about the project and numbers, the, the sales forecasts were, I think, causing them um, a little concern. Um, you know, Everton isn't a big six name or a big four name right now and um and a lot of people we when we presented to one company the idea uh a few months ago they hadn't even heard of howard kendall which was a bit of a 
It's a bit of a setback <laughs> wow. when you're called Everton Howard's way and they don't, they've right. never heard of the central character. Um, that was a bit of a blow. But um, but I but I'm a realist, and I knew that you know Everton isn't the name now that it was um, in the in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s. I, I was aware of that, um, but I also think that there is an extraordinary fan base behind supporters base behind uh, Everton. I mean, passion like very very few clubs um, can talk about. I'm sure in the US there are. American football teams that that are known for the for their vociferous support for the passion of their supporters and and um, you know that that sort of stand them out against other teams and I think Everton I've always thought Everton even when I was down in Cornwall I used to watch the the level of fanaticism uh, the 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 passion of the supporters was just unbelievable and it still is to this day it still is an extraordinary club for support i mean everton are garbage right now we're really struggling and we have been for a number of years really struggling but look at the support they go away in numbers every single game i mean there's the every home game is a sellout all the way support that it's a sellout it's just an extraordinary club um and i do wish i so wish that they could get some support so that the kids of this day could see just how great this club is um but uh anyway um we uh, got to January, February of this year, and the film company pulled out, and that left me um, in a really difficult situation. Not because not because we'd spent a bit of money; that was up to me, and we did that, and you know, so be it. But because I just I was faced with having to go back to all the players and everybody else and say, "I'm really sorry, um, but it's it's not going to happen." And I, obviously, I really didn't want to do that. It's not just about losing face; it's just that um, I personally really believed we could make a brilliant film and uh i i didn't really have time to be devastated because um i think it was the friday that i found out that the the film company wasn't going to press ahead with it uh and all this time i'd i'd just been um chasing some private investment anyway just looking for it just seeing what was out there and some people had said oh i know this guy and and he's got loads of money and he'll back it and, and no one had done and then um, I think the day after um, the disappointment of the film company saying no, um, I got two emails, one um, from a chap called Philip Brown, who I'd never met before, but he had been, um, he'd been somebody that uh, a friend of mine had said, I'm going to put you in touch with him. I think this would be um, very interesting to him. And he, like me, had just watched Everton go out of the FA Cup to Millwall in in uh, fairly disappointing fashion the last couple of minutes of the game and he told me and i only found this out when we did the st george's hall thing the other the other week uh, and he said you know I'd, I'd seen the email i I'd, I'd been interested but i just thought the timing is probably not right it's it's um i'm very busy and and blah blah and then um mill will beat us and he thought oh sod it we um we need to we need to wallow in some eighty-four-five. So um, he just um, he just came back to me within about twenty minutes of the end of that game and said, Let, "Let's do it." Um, and I thought I had another investor. I really did think that I had two investors who were going to put in a considerable amount each because obviously we didn't have anybody else putting any money into it. And um, and the second one uh, didn't materialize, um, despite you know there was a lot of a lot of confident words, but. Um, it didn't happen, and uh, I came back and I talked about it with my wife, and uh, we. She was um, she was looking at um, buying back or trying to buy her way back into a travel business that that she had been involved in um, a few years earlier, um, and she'd taken out a sum of money. Brexit, as you guys may be um, aware, has caused um, yes. a massive amount of trepidation over here. And um, in terms of many, many industries and businesses, um, we're not sure what it means. Um, and we probably won't be for a while. But uh, anyway, so lovely old Brexit uh, meant that uh, my wife, Sarah, thought oh, it's too risky. Um, and we had remortgaged the house for her to do this this uh, this business to buy her way back into the business. So um, she said more than me. She said I think we should go with the film. You know, I, she thought that that uh, 
I think she thought I would mope around the house for the next five, ten years if we didn't do it. <laughs> and um, and she is more of a risk taker than me. And we sat down and we worked out the pros and cons. And you know, fairly quickly, she said, "I I, I want to do it. I think we should do it." And so we did. So we put in half, and and Philip Brown put in the other half, and um, uh, and that was that was March, and then. April, May was a frenzy of filming. Um, and the, the luck that I got was that um, apart from Gary Stevens, who, you know, we went to Perth, we went to Perth uh, on the 1st of May and we were back in the UK by the 4th, I think, of May. Um, but uh, apart from Gary, we didn't really have to travel too far because Adrian Heath came over for, I think, his daughter's wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So he was over um trevor was over for a period of time from dubai so um so it was only really gary that we had to go and get while we were in perth we also filmed with mike lyons who who lives only about an hour away from gary in in uh in western australia um so that was the luck um wasn't so lucky for my cameraman because you probably know but a, a cameraman will get the same rate whether he films one thing in a day or four um, and I was desperate to try and save as much money in, in, with the budget as I could, obviously. <laughs> so we were filming, you know, bless him. I remember one day we, we drove to a shoot um, in, not, not too far from where I live now in Surrey. Um, we shot with uh, two guys there. We then got in the car. We drove up to Manchester um, and we filmed the Sabutio stuff um, in the film. We, I'd, I'd seen some guy on, online with these beautiful Everton and Bayern Munich figures, and I thought I'd like that. Um, and uh, so we filmed with with those guys, and it was lots of changes of equipment, etc. We didn't finish until almost the early hours, and then you have to transfer the footage over because he had another job back down south, back you know three hours back down the motorway, first thing the following morning. But but um, his name is uh, Damien Bradshaw, and he is as good a cameraman and as good a person as I have ever worked with, and. Um, you know, he is eighty percent of the of the stuff that's shot in the film is his, and uh, he was an absolute joy. And and um, yeah, I think we both know that um, that I couldn't have um, done the film the way I did it without his sort of generosity of spirit, because he was um, he got right into it as well. And, and um, we filmed yeah so many many things in the in the short space of time. In about four or five weeks, we we shot most of those i mean what did we do in the end 15 player interviews 15 or 16 um and i think 13 of them were shot april may um plus all the other bits and bobs that you see around it um the original stuff kevin sheedy on the pitch and the and the kid running up an alley and uh, and and stuff like that we all it was all sort of april and and, and may um and once once we got everything filmed i'd already been talking to the archive um the guys from the BBC and ITV, the rights holders for the footage, UEFA. Um, I'd been talking to those guys for, for, for 12 months before that anyway. Um, so I'd seen a lot of stuff. I knew what I, I pretty much knew what I wanted in the film. Um, it was lovely to, to go to ITV and find um, stuff that's never been seen before, um, interviews where, where they're actually waiting for the interview to start. Um, and they're just mucking around and chatting beforehand. That was great to find little nuggets like that was brilliant. Um, but uh, get the filming done, get the archive in, um, agree all the fees, pay everybody, um, and then it's just sit in an edit suite and, and make it. So it was a lot of lot to digest. But to backtrack a little bit, I think James and I both want to thank your wife for pushing you, yeah, yes, to fund the project because I want to say this season. This has been probably my only joy and from an American perspective, legitimately from an American perspective, right? Yeah. I think if you're, even if you're probably a casual fan, because if you're an Everton fan, you know, especially as an American, you probably have to be considered even a little bit more than a casual fan in terms of yeah. other sports, because yeah. this is, this is legitimate, uh, torture, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, we hear about you know, the team of the eighties and and we know about some of the names of the players. Obviously we know Howard Kendall, that sort of thing, but the film really put it into perspective and made me feel how like special the team was watching the play and, and understanding how good those players were. Mm. You know, I went, I went out of my way to, to research a lot of them to see, you know, 
where they what what clubs they came from, yeah. what clubs they played for afterwards, and all that sort of stuff. Adrian Heath obviously has been in MLS as a coach for a handful yeah. of years now, yeah. and so it was really awesome to watch it for, from I think even an American's perspective specifically because we're not we're not even close to familiar with that sort of stuff and mm. and with the interviews and specifically as you mentioned the archived footage. Mm was was awesome i mean obviously you said other people had never seen a lot of that sort of stuff mm. you know the candid moments in which they're waiting for the interview mm. or or uh one that sticks out to me is 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 the part in which they're waiting to go on to sing the song right. and they're, they're drinking <laughs> a couple of beers and that sort of thing i mean that was that was so cool to see um but nonetheless my question my next question for you mm. who was your favorite person you got to interview for this project and why Ugh. Uh, put well, you on the spot. Yes, you. Yes, you have to pick one. Pick <laughs> um, we might let you slip out with I, two. I, I will. I will. Uh, I'm not sure I can pick one, but I. I will put a little caveat in here, in that um, I knew Andy Gray would be brilliant. Right? I, I knew that. Yes. And because I've been to dinners and seen Peter Reed do his after dinner, I also knew Peter Reed would be. Fantastic. And, and funnily enough, I'm putting little teasers uh, onto Twitter uh, every day at the moment. I'm just building up to Christmas to try and beg people to buy the film and download the film. And, uh, you know, I just go back through Peter Reed's interview and it's, you know, it's anecdote after anecdote, story after story. And, and, uh, and uh, but there were, so there were no surprises with Andy uh, and, and Peter. Um, I would say that um, I really enjoyed getting to know Graham Sharp um, in, the, in the project. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know Graham at all. Um, I, I met him. He came to meet me at a hotel in Liverpool in November of November of 17. Yeah, it would have been November 2017. And, um, and the, he also, he's been incredibly kind uh, and helpful throughout the project. Um, I remember when I was first looking for a date to to do the screening, the the screening that eventually happened at St George's Hall. And when I uh, initially came up with a few dates, um, and I, I just I just thought everyone would go, yep, yep, can do it, can do it. And of course, some people said, no, I'm on holiday or can't do it. And you know, so the very first date I came up with, within ten minutes, five or six players had said I can't do it. And Graham phoned me and said, listen, don't worry about it. You'll never get everybody together. You know, and if you can get four or five, it's still amazing. And I, and uh, you know, I in the end we got nearly everybody to St George's Hall. But I just remember taking that phone call and thinking, what a really kind thing to do because he must know that I've I've seen that all these guys are dropping out, and that that did hurt. You know, I was a bit uh, deflated by that. Um, and uh, and Graham phoned me and said, listen, don't worry about it. It's still going to be fantastic. And I and I thought that was um lovely and but by then no surprise because i i just thought he was he was fantastic i really enjoyed and have enjoyed subsequently um uh becoming good for oh, becoming friends with with graham sharp he's uh he's tremendous um I, i'm gonna say i'm gonna add to that that pat vandenhauer was a surprise to me um how good he was and that Gary Stevens and Trevor Stephen are uh, joys, and all the players are were and have been utterly brilliant. Okay, so I'll I'll accept that answer, Rob. How about this? Yeah, that's Let me fair. ask you this question. I'll change it to this: Who was your favorite player at that Kevin time Sheedy. from the Kevin Sheedy? Kevin Sheedy. Yeah, yeah. And I told him. And, the magic and I, I told him that you know right from the start. I said that um, he was my favorite player my favorite player my favorite all-time Everton player and, and maybe the reason I got into Everton I, I, I don't know which came first Everton or, or Bob Latchford but Bob Latchford Google him uh, Bob Latchford was my first football hero and there will never be I think when you have your first football hero or sporting hero there'll never be anybody that sort of surpasses him um, and so uh, Kevin Sheedy was my favorite player in in that team of the 80s but Bob Latchford is my Everton hero. Um, uh, and, and unfortunately, Bob never won anything with, with Everton, but then the guys that played for us in the 70s didn't win anything. So, But, uh, but Kevin Sheedy in that team, just a beautiful player to watch. Um, a, a left foot, I mean, goodness me. That I, I 
would say that he's one of the shyer guys in that team. And therefore, um, I was sort of aware that in the interview, it may not be, that may not be where I get the best out of him. Um, I'm told if I'd given him two or three beers, I might've got the best out of him. <laughs> but, uh, but that's why I really wanted to do something else with Kevin Sheedy. And obviously the free kick against Ipswich, where he goes, you know, top left, bottom right. Um, that's yeah. every Everton. Unbelievable. Fan, every Everton fan from that era remembers that. And I thought it would be nice if we could to get the opportunity to, to just mock that up again. And the thing about that is that Kevin, when when uh, so Kevin arrives at, at Goodison that day, and uh, and we're walking out there, and I'm telling him what I want him to do. He he, I've, I've said I've said to him on the phone what it, what it was about, but we're walking out there, and and um, you know Kevin was pretty injury prone at, when he was fit. So we're walking out there, and I said to him, "Are you going to have a stretch? Are you going to do a little bit just to warm yourself up here before you?" <laughs> and he said, "No, no, it'd be fine." Um, and, uh, so I then go off, talk to the cameraman, etc. Kevin, uh, I watch Kevin hit a couple of shots. Um, and he walks back over to me and he says, I've ripped my groin. And I, I said, Oh my God. What? He's, I said, I thought initially I thought he was joking because of the conversation we'd had. And I, I said, yeah, good one. And he said, no, no, I've, I've done my groin. It's gone. And, uh, and I, all I could think, uh, uh, rather selfishly, I didn't really, I wasn't caring, <laughs> you know, how, how he felt. I, I just, I just thought, well, brilliant. That's it. That's this shoot done. And he said, no, I think I'll still be able to kick the ball. Um, but obviously, you know, he and he did, and 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 actually, he only kicked two balls for me, and and they went sort of top top left ish and and bottom ish. Yeah. I think the bottom right bounced uh, once going in there, but I'm not surprised because he he was booting them with a uh, with a torn groin. He told me when I saw him at St. George's Hall, he said the bruise came up um, from the inside of his leg all the way down to his knee. Um, he had this massive bruise for about two, three weeks after that. So he wasn't kidding. He he tore his, he tore his groin. But ever the pro stepped up and, and uh, first take, put them where I needed him to and um, and then hobbled off. But um, but yeah, Kevin Sheedy was my favourite um, because he had... And, and Neville says it in the film, doesn't he? He says, Neville, Neville says that uh, we could we could pretty much cope without anybody in that team. You know, we could replace anybody, but we couldn't replace Kevin Sheedy. And, and if Neville Southall, who's probably um, Everton's most, um, I think he is, he's, he's our most medalled player, isn't he? He is the, the most successful Everton yeah. of all time. And I think every other player in that team would say the the one person in, in, that, um, in that squad who could claim to be the best in the world in their position um, and if Neville Southall is saying that Kevin Sheedy was like our Maradona or our Messi, then you know how good Kevin Sheedy was. Absolutely, and that's that's an un, that's a great little uh, glimpse behind the scenes, uh, the sort of things that can go wrong when filming. Yeah. I want to uh, switch gears, yeah. switch gears a little bit, and, and poke on a couple of, I guess, overarching themes within the film. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I think the film does excellently is provide some of the political and socioeconomic context okay. surrounding Liverpool at in that time mm. period. Um, of course, with all the things going on with, with high unemployment and Margaret Thatcher mm. and, and that stuff. Um, and so was that a, a key part for your initial vision of the film was to have that aspect of it? Because I think, you know, now I think English football to some extent has become somewhat sanitized mm. with it becoming a global product. Mm. But Back then, it was so local and so, uh, you know, so integral to the community, even though it still is in a lot of ways. But I don't think it will ever quite reach the point that it was in that in that time period. And I think you did an excellent job in the film of, of showing that. Yeah, thanks. I, I hope it never gets like that again. Um, I, I, I felt like you couldn't tell the story um, of that club in that city without going into what it was like for the for the people of that city because there has to be a reason there almost has to be a reason why the fans behave as they did when the coach arrives at Wembley in in 84 and they're banging on the side and they're bowing down as the coach arrives in Wembley way and uh, that sort of desperation mixed with expectation and it was you know they, they were saying thank you to to that team for what they were giving them and you know, in the, the the context of that is that that really was all those people had to cling to because there were no jobs, there was no money. You know, in in Liverpool at that at that time, you've got 
people from sort of school leavers upwards who just haven't and can't get work. You know, it's it's not great these days actually. You know, there's a lot of um, a lot of food banks and, and and Liverpool is still hard hit by stuff like this. You know, and and I don't think you know I live down here in Surrey in a, in a nice little town and um, but there's food banks here and you 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 can't you can't really believe in this day and age that it's like that. But but it was so much worse, I, I believe, so much worse in the 80s because i think there's a stat in the film you know youth unemployment in some areas of of, of uh, liverpool merseyside was 90 percent. i mean you are just yeah. coming out to do a situation that is so bleak i couldn't possibly relate to that from where i was on a farm in in north cornwall i, I couldn't possibly and I, and i and i needed to do as much as i could in terms of research uh, about what what was really going on there and you know, I, I knew of Derek Hatton. Um, I was the, the the paper that we used to get in our house back then, and I, I didn't choose it anyway. So the paper that my parents got was the Daily Express, which is which is a uh, you know uh, or was or is um, right sided, shall we say? And, um, and mm, it was okay. very anti Derek Hatton. Um, and Derek Hatton split Liverpool, I, I, I think. So it wasn't that it, that uh, just standing. Cornwall or the South, where where they weren't keen on, on on Derek Hatton, but but he was a massively important figure at that time and a massive Evertonian. And had he not been a, a big Evertonian, I'm not sure I would have uh, put him in the film, not to the detail that I did, but I think he belonged there. And you know, I've seen a couple of people subsequently say, "Oh, you know, the film I would have preferred less Derek Hatton," and, and I understand that because you know he he split he split the city at the time. Um, but I think he was hugely relevant. I think the situation um, and, and what he was trying to do um, for the city was massively relevant. Um, and there isn't a lot of love for Margaret Thatcher and her government of the time. Um, there wasn't then, there isn't now. Um, and and I wanted to try and do a bit, without getting too far away from the football, um, I, I wanted to to right. to show that i didn't i don't think that we made a comment on it particularly but we just showed it um as it was um massive queues at job centers um there were massive drug problems and um yeah it felt important that that we didn't sort of just uh put that to one side and just say hey but what about the football because the fans were so dependent on the football to give them something to cling to and the difference between liverpool and everton at that time was that you know, Liverpool on a Wednesday and a Saturday were winning everything. So their fans at least, you know, okay, so they, they may not have had a job and they may not have had much money, but football at least gave them something. And on a regular basis, you know, from, from the from the mid-70s onwards, Liverpool were winning something, something every single year. So their supporters were getting to go to mm. Europe and they were getting to, to experience silverware and success and singing and being with your mates and being happy every sort of Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday. And Everton didn't even have that, you know. So your Everton fans, they didn't have any jobs or any money, um, and their football team wasn't great either. And we're getting routinely thumped by Liverpool five nil and three nil. You see them in the in the film. So for those fans who who'd been clinging on to nothing really, to then have their football team um, join Liverpool and then go past Liverpool to become the best team in England, maybe the best team in, in Europe. You know, it, it felt right that you had the context of the backdrop to see just why it meant so so much to them and why scenes like Hill, uh, the Highbury in uh, in 84 and Wembley uh, in 84 and Rotterdam in 85, where those guys were rewarded for years and years of, uh, of hard slog and, and loyalty. And the other thing... And the other thing was the music, and obviously uh, I had a great, I had a great right. deal of help uh, there because um, I, I still, I consider myself very much a child of the '80s, but my musical taste was a bit more. I hate to say it, but it was a bit more Stock Aitken and Waterman, and uh, and that that really <sighs> wouldn't have worked. <laughs> so Keith Mullin, um, who's a guitarist with the the, the farm, Keith swept in and uh, had a look at some of my choices and just put a very polite line through them uh, and, and said, <laughs> uh, leave it to me, son, and uh, and did an amazing job and wrote uh, uh, some of the music for it. Um, another chap called Pete Davison, uh, who's a friend of my editor, my editor, Mike Brook, who did a brilliant job. 
Um, a mate of his is also a, a music composer, Pete Davison, and, and he came in and did a, a couple of tracks for me as well. But Keith, um, Keith was principally the the guy responsible for choosing the commercial tracks and then writing a lot of the original uh, music. And and uh, obviously the music had to be had to be right. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up the music because I I did mean to ask you about it, and it kind of um, you kind of just covered it there. But I did I did think that the music just added a lot mm. to the film and you know, I was watching it with subtitles and some of the lyrics just really like jumped out at me and it's, it was, it was very well done the way that the score was for the film. Um, so, so well done there. And the the other thing I wanted to ask you about, because I think, you know, the movie is Everton Howard's yeah. way, but of course you had to film it in the absence of Howard Kendall who had passed away in 2015. Yeah. So what was, what was your, your aim? Because it is, the movie is about the city and it's about the team and it's about the community. But ultimately, it kind of centers around this figure who I think, you know, you have all these players who have interactions with him. So what what was your mindset going into it about how you wanted to sort of give life to this figure who you wouldn't be able to have, of course, down in the chair? In yeah, front of interesting. I, I, I don't think I think I thought about the, the name. Uh, there was a there was a um, a drama in the 80s, a, a sailing drama that used to go out on BBC One on a Sunday night called Howard's Way. Um, and that's initially why I thought it's 80s. It was Howard Kendall's team. And so it wasn't ever my intention to make the film about Howard Kendall. And it would have been very difficult because Howard, Howard Kendall was not Brian Clough. He didn't court the media in the same way. He wasn't um, this massive uh, um, presence outside of his football club. You know, I, I mean, I think in... In and around uh, Merse, in 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 football, I think everyone realised what a great guy Howard Kendall was. A great man, and a he'd been a great player um, at Everton um, and a great manager. But right. I think maybe uh, other fans of other clubs wouldn't be as familiar with him. I mean, there's no chance that we could have gone to that meeting um, in, in January, February this year, and the guy said, "Oh, oh I've never heard of Brian Clough." Um, and Brian Clough uh, only. I think right, Brian right. Clough with uh, with Forest only won one league title, and and Howard won two. Um, and yet, uh, and Bobby Robson didn't win any in 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 England. But but everyone's heard of Bobby Robson because mm. he managed England, and and Clough because he was right. you know, Clough was right. a genius. And um and and I think it's um it's fair enough that that his profile is what it is. But but Howard was a brilliant manager. Um, and the stories that the players told. Um, you know, his man management was his strength, I think. And I, I think if I got to make the film, somebody asked me if I would if I would change much, if I got to make it again, to, if I started again tomorrow with all the same material and, and you know, the stuff that I, I, I left on the mm-hmm. floor, if I had put a bit more Howard in, and I guess I might have done. Um, it was difficult to do because a lot of the really good quotes from, from Howard were from interviews um, years and years after um, he he'd retired or, or left Everton that first time round, so yeah. visually they didn't fit in the film because they didn't look like eight right. Um, right. So yeah, I, I might have tried. There's a couple of bits that I could probably uh, put in. I mean, everybody would like more time in edit, and and maybe maybe there's there's sure. another ten seconds here or another ten seconds there. But I, I felt like when I talked to the players and said that this was the sort of uh, name for the film. Um, albeit that uh, it was a working title, everyone really seemed to like. It. I remember Andy Gray saying it's the perfect name for the film, and he said that to somebody in an interview. And I thought, well, I can't really change now. Andy said it, um, but uh, I think there was a general acceptance that it was the right thing because it was Howard's way. I mean, it was very much Howard and Colin Harvey's way. Actually, yeah. the two of them, uh, Howard was the yeah. guy that, that sort of said, right, this is how we're going to do it these are the tactics blah blah and colin would then go and drill it on the training ground with these guys um and and mick heaton as well who was who was part of that coaching team but um but it was howard's vision and um i don't think that he that that many people outside of uh, of uh, of everton or maybe outside of the city of, of liverpool that um, many people realise what a great manager he was, and, and he nearly didn't make it at Everton because the um, eighty, the winter of eighty three, I've got to believe, almost saw him off. Um, yeah. But you know, he won the title in in eighty four five. They won it by a mile. They gave away. They lost. They lost the first two games, and I think they lost three of the last four games. But the last three 
the, the three losses at the end of the season, he was basically rotating the team, throwing kids in to rest um, the squad for for the European Cup Winners' Cup and uh, and for the FA Cup. So they won it by 13 points. They beat Liverpool three times that season, didn't concede a goal. They should. They very nearly won the double the next season, and uh, and then they win the league title in '87. And 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 I think six or seven of the team from '84-5 are either injured or have left or, or whatever by that point. So he a remarkable job to win it in, again in in '87. And who knows quite what he would have achieved at Everton, but for the fact that he wanted to manage in Europe, and and obviously English clubs weren't allowed to compete yeah. in Europe at that point. So I think that ban. Um, Trevor Stephen made an interesting point about the players as well. Their profiles never maxed as they might have done had they been European Cup winners. You know, it's very it's impossible to right. say that Everton would have gone on to win the European Cup, but I, I do believe they would have gone very close because uh, English clubs were totally dominant in Europe at that point and Everton were totally dominant in England. So there's a good argument to say that they would have they would have uh, they would have gone very very close uh, to winning a European Cup if not one. Uh, a couple and and have if you do that as a manager if you do that as a player that lifts your profile uh to a place where you you don't you can never really be forgotten or written off or dropped through the cracks etc but i think a lot of players in that team uh, and howard as well is not as treasured um by uh history um as he might otherwise have been well i'd like to say from my perspective i think the title was epic and Epic. and just just uh you've mentioned Andy Gray and, and the enjoyment you've had yeah. interviewing him a couple of times. And I wanted to say it was it was interesting to see how big yeah. of a personality uh-huh. he, he has. I know that it was mentioned in the film by a couple of the players, you know, talking about how when he came, you know, when he came to Everton and this, that, and the other. And so it was kind of interesting to see his personality kind of uh protruding from the screen almost in his interviews. But nonetheless, I have one last question okay. before we wrap things up. And and I, I anticipate this might be somewhat difficult, Oops. but let's give it a shot. So how closely did the final product of the film align with your initial vision of how you thought it would it would it would work out, it would turn out to be? Um I'm gonna say that um I haven't got the, the I haven't got the treatment in front of me, but the original treatment that I put together, um I would say it is very close, very close. I wow. I think that um, once I'd got it in my head that I was going to go down the let's tell lots of funny stories or let's get as many stories as we can in there, mm-hmm. um, once that was in my head, um, then it was just a case of, all right, so what are the stories and can I get, you know, so there were some stories that I knew um, and I knew who the characters were. So when you've got the story about the shorts, the 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 shorts being too tight uh, for Kevin Ratcliffe in the semi-final. I knew that that story played out between him and Peter Reed. So um, they've both written about it or, or it's been written about in somebody else's book. And so therefore um, I knew that that story would work or I thought it would work. I knew other stories um, where Graham Sharp could talk about Kevin Richardson's first time on camera. And, and, and so there was the little gems were when Alan Harper said, did you know that Neville shut me in a cupboard? And I said, no, I, don't know. <laughs> I didn't know that. But I fortunately was able to you know, find that story out before I'd met either of them or, or, or do the interview with either of them. So, so you know, it was those, those new stories that, I mean, Graham, I'd never heard the tea towel story from Graham Sharp. Um, yeah, so, that's a good one it, too. It was, it was adding ones like that. And then the lovely thing is, you know, so, so the, so this, so it really didn't, it didn't, I never went too far away from what I thought it would be. It's probably less political stuff in it than at one point I thought I might do. Um, and I'm pleased that I didn't because I, I felt the balance was okay. So I, I watch it through and I think, you know, it, it, it feels about right for a film which is really about the, the football team. Um, but uh, the pleasing thing for me was that when we first, the very first premiere was uh, on November the 2nd, the very first screening, um, and I was there with my editor. I was also there with my uh, my wife and, and our two boys. But I was sat next to my editor. And obviously, we've been sat in, in in a couple of little rooms throughout the summer. And you 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 make it, and uh, and we think we know where the first reaction will be. You know, 
um, and, and, and it's going to be a laugh yeah. and we think we'll get it here. And we're sitting there and we watch the film. We're watching the film and, and, and part of me is thinking, right, no, I don't want any technical problems. I don't want any glitches, et cetera. Um, and, and I never thought there would be, but, but he's made, he's made, my editor has made uh, music documentaries before. And I know from his um, perspective that, that he spent the first screening that he ever did, he paced the back of the cinema, the whole film, because he was worried that there would be a technical issue. So, so I didn't, I wasn't really too stressed about that, but we were thinking, okay, we know where this first laugh is going to come. And while we were waiting for that first laugh, a laugh happened before it. Um, and we both looked at each other and went, wow, I didn't even think that was funny. Um, but, the, but the audience liked it. And, and then you just think, well, if they like that, then it's going to be fine. Um, and so the, the whole idea was that, that we, edit, we put a film together from the same point of view. We thought that this could be quite a funny film. And obviously we knew the ending was emotional, but we thought we could pack it with some lovely stories and, and, it, would, and it would resonate with, um, with, with people. Um, and, and we stayed fairly loyal to that. And the reward was that, that there were lots and lots of laughs in there. And, and that's really how we always imagined it. It, it can be whether you're a, I think, I think, you know, if you live through that period, it's certainly a trip down memory lane and brings back a lot of fond memories. But speaking for, you know, myself, even just from someone who was never a fan in that era and yeah. it was before my time, it really showed what a special yeah. club Everton is and, and reaffirmed my belief that, you know, the, there are good times that we, they may not seem like, it may not seem like it right now, but there's certainly, uh, I think more good times to be had. And it was it was a really really poignant film. I encourage all of our listeners to watch it. Everton fans, soccer fans, and general football fans, you will laugh. You might cry. It will give you chills down your spine. It is a a really really profound film and, and an excellent job, Rob. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, and and tell everyone where they can where they can view the uh, movie. Well, okay, so it's available to to download from. Amazon from iTunes in in the UK. Obviously, you can get it on Sky Store, Virgin. DVD-wise, you can get it in HMV, order it from Amazon, etc. Um, we've got a website, which is evertonhowardsway.com. Everybody will have the information they need. Check the description. And to all our listeners out there, catch you guys next time. I'm up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg slash ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.